So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast and we have a huge amount to talk about this week. Um, But before we get into the the matches we missed over the weekend, first a couple of questions I want to put to you guys. The first off, we saw a bit of news break this week that Quade Cooper um, has been offered a contract with the Brumbies during the week but he's he's turned it down in favour of staying in Queensland. Still looking to potentially, I guess, get a... Uh, get a start for the Reds at some point. But I put this to you guys. Quade Cooper, is he just a proud Queenslander or a stubborn individual that's taking the ARU's money without giving himself an opportunity to play for the Wallabies? I'm going to say he's both. And the reason I say that is because I think he is probably a proud Queenslander that wants to play for where he wants to live and where he, you know, the state he wants to represent. And he's also stubbornly trying to you know, this this is a player versus his employer, and it's like any other um, employer-employee relationship. Like they've committed to something for him, and then all of a sudden they haven't reneged on it, but they're basically trying to put him in a situation where he's has to force himself out to to go to another team and renegotiate a contract, or to risk selection or risk missing selection by playing club rugby only. So why wouldn't you take the money that was offered to you in a contract if they don't want to put you in the competition that you're really capable of playing it in then um, you just wait it out you say I still want to play for Queensland I'm not interested in other offers it, might, it may cost me my wallaby spot but I'm determined to play for my state of origin yeah I, I think he is too proud in some ways of being a Queenslander and being at home and probably staying around family and that's been a big priority for him um, we've seen the Rebels turn down um, any sort of negotiations with Quaid, but the Brumbies have been out there saying we do want him um, and he's not willing to move. And, I mean, that's comes down to the fact how much does he want to play for the Wallabies. Um, it's not guaranteed by any means if he does go down to, to Canberra to play whether he will be selected. And he's been let down by Checker before when perhaps indications were that his form was good enough for selection. So perhaps he thinks that, okay, I'm going to make this big move down to Canberra for the last bit of the season just to potentially have a small chance of being selected um, either in June or or for the rugby championship. So I think he's probably just sceptical of the people around him and not willing to trust them. Um, Larkham looks like he's backing him, but you just don't know overall whether he will get that opportunity. So I think he's just willing to take the money at the moment. And maybe just wait for the Reds to get desperate enough to bring him back in. I don't think it's going to happen, but perhaps that's that's the the idea he has in his mind. Yeah, I very much don't think Brad Thorne's going to cave and let Quade Cooper be anywhere near his match day 23 for the Queensland Reds. But he is he's getting hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think you're saying, Toby, $800,000 um, combination yeah, to like his that. super contract and the ARU top-ups. And he's not even making himself really... a a realistic opportunity to fulfill those needs for Australian rugby. 
Yeah, that's not I mean, his. Yeah, it's not his job to make himself more available than he is now. He's available, and they're not selecting him. And if they're trying to make him move somewhere, you know, if if, if the ARU were were honor well not honourable, but if they were sincere in wanting him to play for another franchise, wouldn't they be working with that franchise to make sure he got an equally good offer to give him the same opportunity? Probably they're not because they're trying to make sure he's not getting overpaid and trying to leverage his own interests in, and, and representative desire to represent for the Wallabies to, to get him to move and, and take the pay cut. He, how much yeah. do you think he'd get offers at the Brumbies? No, I mean, I don't think I think they'd have to take on that contract. Yeah, and I they think would that's, have to that's what that they were payment. willing to do. Um, there was no way that he was going to get less money um, by moving. But, you know, it would be a different circum- set of circumstances if perhaps he wasn't on any Super Rugby roster and he was just refusing to sign with certain teams because, you know, he didn't want to make a move or whatever. The, the point is that, yeah, it is out of his control whether he gets selected for the Reds. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. How desperate is he to get into that gold jersey again? It doesn't seem like he's too phased about it at the moment. Mm. I'm sure that for next year he probably was, wants to, you know, be available for the World Cup. Maybe this year is a bit of a write-off and he's just going to take that hit, decide, maybe take some time to actually decide whether, yeah, do I want to make the move to another franchise or not? Um, if not, I've got 70 caps. I'm eligible. If I get an offer from overseas, I can take that and I'm still in the running to play for the Wallabies. Yeah, definitely will be interesting since, as you said, Larkham sort of said he's probably not in contention to be selected, but a couple of injuries, especially you see someone like Foley go down and they might, might force check his hand a little bit. Yeah, I think they would massively. I think then they'd be forced to bring him in either to be someone playing off the bench or even starting for the Wallabies because I think once Foley, you know, Foley did have an issue, KB would be starting and then you're down to some of the younger guys that probably aren't ready to be playing for the Wallabies. So that's where Quaid would factor in. The other question I had for you guys, um, we saw this week that England announced their squad for their tour, their June tour of South Africa. And a name popped up there that we would know from our Hurricanes, uh, Brad Shields, named in the England team. He is a English citizen through his parents, so it's completely... Um, legitimate that selection but I was just thinking England's managed to take this player from another country just because he's never had the opportunity to be capped for where he was playing if if we had that option of taking any player from another country that hadn't been capped yet um, for the Australia and for the Wallabies who would you guys want to pick where would you guys um, be looking to um, I, I threw out this name before to you Arch I think the the Tongan Godzilla, who we just saw dominate on the weekend, wouldn't be a bad um, choice. But there's quite a few guys out there. Um, and I think you were talking about Rob Thompson, Arch. So that would be your mm, pick. Definitely. And I mean... Big problem area for the Wallabies. Exactly. 13. And we'll, we'll talk about it a bit later when we're looking at our Wallaby selections at centres. But someone like Rob Thompson has definitely come on this year and just amazed me in a lot of his play. And I think... I think he would walk straight into the Wallabies, really. Um, but there's there's a few other areas where I think we could probably use a little bit of help. I think um, yeah, the... Ricky Riccatelli is another one who I don't think has been capped. He's a decent hooker, and the fact is we, we are a bit thin at hooker. So I think that's also someone you would look at. But I'd, from the sounds of things, he'll be, he could be capped in the, the June series, so we'd have to be quick if we wanted to act on that one. 
theoretically. I agree. I agree that hooker and probably front row, generally speaking, is a bit of a need. And I think second row is also a bit of a need. Riccatelli had a much better game this week. The week before, he's I don't think he threw a solid line out. It was awful and terrible throwing game. But um, yeah, there's definitely we we need some of these uh, second rowers. We we talked at the start of the season how many uh, second rowers they had in the Brumbies and in the Rebels and in, even in the Reds. Like so many great guys, and yet we're not really that comfortable uh, calling any of these guys, uh, you know, dual uh, international ready. For, for the coming June series. I reckon second rowers and front rowers are probably something we'd, we'd need to look at, but who, who we could pick. There's, there's probably a couple of um, South African locks who we could pinch if, we, if they were available, if they weren't Springboks already. Let's be honest, Arch. You'd just take Jans van Rensburg, wouldn't you? Mate, the freeze. Just put him, straight in a tw- put him straight in there in the centres or in the front row or wherever <laughs> you could fit him. He doesn't fit many places, but you'd, you'd find a way. Mate, he doesn't. Fit him he doesn't fit in many places at all. I'm surprised he's managed to find a plane that could carry him over from South Africa. The fridge. A pair of rugby shorts that he could fit his ass into. <laughs> I think it's just a big unit. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know. This is a typical Eddie Jones move, bringing in someone who I think probably should have already played for the All Blacks. Brad Shield has been a, a great player for a long time, um, and he's just been slightly unlucky not to be selected. Um, but now, yeah, I can see him coming straight into that England back row setup for for the Springbok series in June. So, really good pickup by D. Jones, and this is just him kind of again looking outside the box a little bit. And he did that a little bit with Australia, with bringing in guys like Lottie Takiri, Matt Rogers, Wendell Saylor. Like he's he's prepared to look a little bit outside the norm um, and find success in that way. So it's good to see. Actually, I actually, I like it. I think it's a uh, it's an interesting move. I think it is a well-deserved sort of um, selection for Brad Shields, especially. I think you're right. He probably could have easily had a black jersey um, many years ago already. But let's start looking at this weekend. And Leo, what was your favourite moment of the round? My favourite moment this week was uh, in the Hurricanes-Blues game. And it was a very brief moment, but it was pretty spectacular. Um, the Hurricanes were still trying to fight off the Blues. They'd, they'd lost some momentum in the second half. It sort of lost lost their attacking flow, and they'd just lost an opportunity to score in the right-hand corner and, and taking the ball in the touch. So they were trying to trying to squeeze the Blues in their own half, and they they managed to rip off a line-out. And the Evans, the Hurricanes' number eight, just flew up into the air across in front of the Blues and... Honestly, it was like a Superman moment. He he snaffled this this short throw to two in the lineout, and three phases later they're scoring. And we see some pretty good athletic efforts from the Hurricanes' backs. So they've got it in the forwards too. They're a very dynamic and dangerous group. Yeah, and we just talked about shields, but the whole sort of Hurricanes back row is really a force. Um, and him, as, especially since moving over to the Hurricanes, has gone really um, upped his game this season. Toby, what about yourself? Mate, I'm going to look away from Super Rugby for a second. Um, one of my favourites, and I think one of the podcast favourites, Scott Fardy, Fardy. Um, managed to win the Europe, Europe... I think he's Player of the Year contention over here, and he managed to win the European Rugby Champions Cup um, with Leinster yesterday. So that's a, a really good achievement for him. Um, he made the move over here to Leinster, obviously a very prestigious club, um, and they managed to beat Racing 92 
um, by 15 points to 12. So there are no tries in this game. Um, and so a bit of a dour kicking affair. But, you know, that's how it is sometimes over here with the weather and such. Um, so really good to see Fadi going from strength to strength, even into his 30s. He's, um, you know, continues with that strong form and you could really use him at, at blindside flanker for the Wallabies, but we're just not going to have that opportunity because he hasn't got those 60 caps. So a bit disappointing to lose him, but it's good to see that he's he's made the most of his opportunities over here. Yeah, and whether we're going to look back on the decision not to re-sign him, not to get him, keep him in that Wallaby setup, may be a mistake. We'll have to see how some of these young fellas go um, in the next sort of few months uh, for the Wallabies and see whether they can really sort of make that six jersey their own. Um, for me, look, I want to I wanna try and be positive because there was a lot of negative negativity thrown around this weekend. And just looking superficially at Australian rugby, I think what the Waratahs managed to put together can be considered overall a positive. Look, if you had told me last week, midweek, that this weekend, the Waratahs were going to go up against the Crusaders, the top of the Super Rugby table, and they're going to go to Christchurch, and they're going to lose by two points to the competition leaders. And they're going to be have sort of two moments where they could have won this game. And it, it comes down to what? It comes down to Foley kicking it sort of 30% less than his season average. A very uncharacteristic, a couple of misses by him. It is shades of what we what we saw from the Wallabies last year when they went into New Zealand and they blew a lead. They did lose, but then they came back the next time and you saw they learned from it. That's what prompted them to take the final match against New Zealand last year. So I think you can take a lot of positivity from what we saw from the Waratahs. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I look at it a little bit differently. I think we gave away that game and we had enough points on the board to actually hold on. We would look at this game very differently if if we tit for tat, um, or if the Crusaders got out to a bit of a lead and then we fought back and came within two points of winning it. Um, but the way that it played out, the the bounce of the ball was in our favour for 25, 30 minutes of that game, and we were on such a roll. And it's almost like they knew that there was this imminent tidal wave coming from the Crusaders, and they did nothing really to prevent that. And that was the most disappointing thing. All right, all right. We'll we'll pause that conversation because let's get into the rest of the games, and we're not quite starting there. Match report round thirteen. First game, and Toby, you called this one a little bit. The Sunwolves versus the Reds coming out of Tokyo, and trap game potentially for the Reds, and completely confirmed. Sunwolves running away with this, sixty-three points to the Reds, twenty-eight. And I actually think I think I had some audio um, from Brad Thorne after the game. What did you see, old man? Gujira. 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 <laughs> That's funny. That's right. The Tongan Godzilla, Salmaki, makes it three tries and gives the Sunwolves a spur to take the win away from the Reds. Very unexpected. Yeah, very unexpected. And look, probably not a true reflection. The scoreline wasn't a true reflection of, of the game. The Reds weren't that bad, but it was a sloppy and quite a disappointing performance by them. Um, the Sunwolves were dual win. As we know, they hadn't taken one all season. And this was all the things just came together at the right time for them. And they made the most of their opportunities. So you've got to give them credit for that. 
I think there was a little bit of assistance there on the scoreline from from Egon Seconds. He had a pretty bad game oh. as referee. Um, and the TMO there in Tokyo just continues to struggle. Um, these are these are things I think it's just Reds, it was a trap game and they, they fell into a bit of maybe complacency there and Hayden Parker just dominated. So, you know, a lot of good things to take away for the Sunwolves, but not many for the Reds. And we probably want to see... Uh, if we're going to keep Stewart and Lance in the starting lineup, we really want to see them swap around, don't we? See Stewart get a bit more early ball there at pivot, and and Lance to give that support from fullback and and the starch in defence. Stewart yeah. doesn't seem afraid to tackle either. He's he's standing up well in that channel. Well, you saw Jake White say that as well. He he said, you know, it's a shame he's at the back. He's not getting as many opportunities to get his hands on the ball and really show what he can do. Um, he did a couple of times, and you saw it take. He was taking it to the line really well, really direct play. I think now with the way that the Reds are going to have to build into next season, um, with Jono going over to to the UK, it's probably just the smartest thing to do to to bring in Hamish Stewart at ten, um, and he's probably going to have a little bit of a learning curve there. But the best time to start is now, and the Reds, you know, they're they're still I think in contention for the finals, but it's going to be tough for them. I don't think they're going to lose too much by swapping Lance and um, Stewart around, so I think they should do that as soon as possible. Do you think this was mainly just a inexperienced bit of lack of maturity from a young Reds team that thought they were going to be able to put everything together and then sort of faltered a bit when the Sunwolves started putting up a little bit of a fight? Um, I think they actually maybe enjoyed their trip over there and, and probably for a lot of them it was a, their first kind of you know, experience in Tokyo and they probably were, maybe they didn't have their eyes on the prize enough. Um, I think they'll learn from this. There's a lot of guys that are 19, 20 years old in that team. And we're probably going to see this pay dividends in two, three years time from Brad Thorne. It is an investment in the future. Um, There probably are enough guys like John Lance and George Smith, James Slipper that should be able to keep that, you know, direction and the focus there. But I just think they just weren't, they weren't executing in this game. They weren't precise. They they didn't seem to play and take the smart option on, on a lot of occasions. But but again, the Sunwolves really put it to them, and I don't think you can take too much away from the Sunwolves. I think even if the Reds played pretty well, the game would have been pretty close, and the Sunwolves may have still won it. Yeah, so uh, definitely not too much for us to deconstruct with the Reds there. I think, yeah, the Stuart um, Jono is probably the biggest point. Otherwise, you're looking at a forward pack that obviously weren't at their top form, but it's still probably going to make up the majority of the Wallabies sort of forward pack at, at multiple times during the next sort of June test window. Um, the Reds have a tough matchup coming up next. They head over to Wellington to take on the Hurricanes, so they'll definitely need to sort of stand up and bring a lot more to that game. Whereas the Sunwolves welcome the Stormers coming over from South Africa next week. And a team that the Stormers haven't been able to win away from home. Is this a game the Sunwolves might be able to take a bit of experience off that last performance and put together two on the trot? Maybe. I remember back when we did our preseason uh, rankings and, and um, projections, and the one game I had the Sunwolves winning was actually the Sunwolves-Reds. And I didn't tip that this week because the Reds have been so much better than I expected um, but I still, I still think they're probably only good for the one win. I think that again, that the possible uh, trap for the Stormers may have been um, 
uh, tripped by tripped by the Reds and and the Storms have come in and say, look, these guys just put sixty odd points on not the strongest team in the competition by any means, but they'll they'll see a lot of how they play in attack and they'll be they'll be watching a lot of tape, make sure they shut all that down. Yeah, I mean the the Stormers as well can be quite a strong defensive team, but the Reds were one of the strongest defensive teams and. To, to, to concede 60 points, like, that's not a, not a good effort by any means. And I think they just weren't physical enough. Um, so they'll really need to pick up that part of their game against the Canes because it's, it's, you know, probably the best team in the competition, the Canes at the moment. Well, let's let's look ahead, and it's the game we're probably going to talk about the most, and it's the Crusaders versus the Waratahs. Crusaders winning by two points, 31-29, to 29, after the Waratahs got out to a 29-0 lead after about half an hour in this game. And let's let's try and stay positive, boys. What are the pluses we can take from this game? You get a lesson on on maybe how you attack the Crusaders. So the the Waratahs were very expansive. They they took chances. They they actually took some sort of higher risk, high reward chances, even without having advantage to play with uh, early on. Like that that crossfield bomb to Falau, which which again that got a little bit lucky because it's kind of spilled and and Rona was there to scoop it up, but the the thing about this that I think the Crusaders would have expected this game to be less competitive and and certainly had the were at, were at risk of getting sort of blown off the park mentally that early but that's the quality of the Crusaders that's why they're the top of the comp and I think for teams it's if the Crusaders don't understand how to contain you initially give them half an hour and they'll figure it out and they adapt like they're just that they're just that smart they've got the leaders and, and the experience in their team uh, and, and a lot of energy and physicality in their younger players, they'll figure you out. And the Waratahs did everything they could to get the points on early in this game, but then they, they, they weren't able to adapt and react when the Crusaders started changing the way they were playing and, and found a bit of momentum. And they almost had enough to, they almost had enough to get them in this game, like bar a, a kick or two. Um, clearing clearing the crossbar, the Waratahs actually did enough early on in this game and, and held the Crusaders out almost to the death. So there is some positives, I think. Yeah, there are some positives. And I I do think, you know, if you're going to measure yourself against anyone, you want to measure yourself against a team like the Crusaders or the Hurricanes, not so much the Lions anymore. Um, I think those two teams are the teams that you want to try and emulate. Um, I'm just disappointed overall because... When you when you get out to a lead like that and everything goes your way and then you aren't able to defend that lead, it, it is very disappointing. And I said before, I think the way it played out made it even more disappointing because the Crusaders were just rampant and were able to come back so effectively. We just looked like a completely different team in the second half. But in, in saying that, I, I think you, you should take pos- positives away from it because what else can you do? I mean... The Waratahs weren't expected to win this game. The streak continues, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is learning from games like this and taking something away so that next time that it happens, we know how to react. We, you know, really become solid in defence. And, of course, the Crusaders are going to score points, but we could have kept them to less than 29 points, and we didn't do that. And maybe it was a little bit... Foley was off a little bit with the boot, um, but we can't really look at it that way either we need to to remember look the crusaders are a quality team if you get that far ahead you have to keep that lead and you have to protect it they didn't do that and it's a bit a bit of a sad occurrence but you know what 
hopefully we can we can take something away for next week against the Highlanders. And it was interesting, like you say that they couldn't hold them out. Like the game did change after halftime. The the Waratahs had much much less possession. Crusaders finally realised that they needed to keep the ball away from Falau. Archie and I actually caught in the telecast we were watching uh, off camera the from the commentary team. And the comment from one of the, the female commentator was, "Why do they keep kicking it to Falau?" So they were watching their highlights reel and just thinking, "What? Well, you know, that's saying that's silly. They should be feeding him open field counter attacking ball." Crusaders adapt. They stop doing silly things like they make a, a you know a, a proactive effort not to do that to kick it away from him. We start missing tackles as we tire. We miss a few kicks. Um, you know, the we think the ref really missed a. A pretty blatant bit of foul play as well, which which was an early try to Moanga, albeit Kepu ran out and and gave the opportunity. But when Moody elbows Beal in the throat and then stands there and catches the offload to score a try, you you kind of hope that that get picked that gets picked up when they're checking where Moody came from. Um, so yeah, there's not there's not much in it. And and the Waratahs, if they're at the top of the table for the uh, Australian Conference, they're they're getting that spot in the finals. So they've got a remember what worked in this game and, and take as much as they can from it. Don't forget about this one. Yeah, and I think we will see Joe Moody cited for that, um, though it doesn't particularly help the Waratahs in this game. And yeah, a few decisions didn't go away with right at the end there being a pretty blatant tip tackle um, by Goodhue, the outside centre for the Crusaders as well, that just sort of got looked over and nothing really called. But you saw, I mean, we can't just make excuses. There's always going to be decisions that are missed by the ref. There's always going to be things that don't go your way. I think we were listening to Stephen Hoyles for the Fox Sports sort of newscast, and he sort of, he was pretty frustrated by the whole events, and he's sort of making the point that maybe in Australia we need to learn to not cheat, but infringe better, be more sneaky. We saw people like Whitelock, people like Matt Todd constantly being able to get in just getting an extra hand down in the ruck, knocking balls around so they ended up getting Waratahs getting called for um, knock-ons when Todd's been just grabbling around the ball when he's getting cleared out and things. And Is this something that Australian rugby needs to do? Do we need to find those hardy inside forwards and number sevens that are actually going to completely disrupt it, whether it is bordering on um, illegal play but something that whatever, six, seven, maybe eight times out of ten, they get away with. I think we need to be more willing to push the boundaries. We shouldn't be creating play and and making decisions where we're really clearly um, breaching rules. Like that's that's not the way to do it. And I don't think that's the way the New Zealanders do it. They're just they're so intense. Like things like offside, they're always challenging the ref's interpretation of offside, and they react when they get penalised. They adjust a little bit, but they're always right there on the edge. They're not taking a conservative line on these things where they're thinking, oh, no, the worst thing I could possibly do is infringe. They're, they're really pushing the boundaries of it. And that, that may give you that little bit more advantage if, you're, if, you, if you are trying to defend and you're, you're that much quicker onto the ball runner or if you're in a ruck and you're, you're thinking, oh, I, I'm not quite down, am I? I can, I can have a go at this or maybe I was, maybe I was in quick enough. I'll, I think I'm still on my feet. I'll go for, for this ball. You know, you, you give away a couple of penalties, you have to adjust. But if we're not even going to take the odd chance, then maybe we're missing opportunities. And the New Zealanders and the South Africans definitely don't 
worry too much. They know the ref will enforce the rules and they, they play as close to the line as they can. We don't want to be missing out our own opportunities. Yeah, I think you're right, Leah. We do probably need to walk the line a little bit more closely and, and do take certain risks um, because you do get away with some some things that will help you. Our biggest challenge is if we start to get penalised to take the foot off the pedal a little bit and, and do make that adjustment to ensure we don't get carded for continuous penalties. Um, the Kiwi teams are generally pretty good at that. They may go pretty hard and be pretty intense um, challenging perhaps the last feet line in terms of being offside, things like that. But as soon as they start getting penalised, they make that adjustment so that they don't kind of build up that momentum towards the yellow card. Um, the Australian teams don't tend to do that as well, and you see that with the Reds. Um, often the fact that they're so eager um, and they want to bring that intensity and that physicality, sometimes they take it too far um, and they, they really hurt themselves for it. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. We do need to to reevaluate that. I don't think it comes down to cheating. And I think Hoyles was maybe putting, you know, trying to point out again that New Zealand needs to be careful in what they're doing. He's trying to put some focus back onto them. Um, but, yeah, I think we do need to be a little bit more aggressive. And it's, a, it's just that little bit of discipline. And it's actually, it takes a lot of discipline to look at where the line is and be right on it and what, that, that might be really good, but what will really ruin it is the stupid, ill-disciplined stuff that we see from some players um, where where they just give away blatant penalties. And so, like you're talking about that momentum towards cards, if you're, if you're challenging somewhat respectfully and regularly and the ref understands that and he's seeing you adjust, he might let it go. But if you're also doing dumb infringements and, you know, shoulder charges and, and loose tackles, reckless stuff, then his patience for that sort of thing is just going to be like, no, you know what, you're, you're flaunting rules left, right and centre. I'm not going to have it and cards are going to fly. So there's a, a couple of elements to this that need to be changed if the Australian teams are going to push that push the boundaries a little bit more. They need to be really disciplined. Yeah, but I mean, going back to the positives, we have Falau absolutely back in career best form, I'd say, um, really putting his label as the sort of top player in the world, I'd really... Um, especially in open space and under the high ball. Um, you had great sort of hands in that first try between some of the forwards, between Fitzpatrick, Simmons, Wells, passing out to Cam Clark for that first try. Will Miller, again, had a great game. Unfortunate to see Ned Hannigan go down with a potential knee injury late in that game, so hopefully he's not going to be missing either this week or too long. Um, but the Waratahs get to come home. They get to face the Highlanders, and you think... With some of the sort of things going their way, their handling errors at an all-time low, they should feel that they can take away a win versus the Highlanders this week. Yeah, let's hope so. But I, yeah, I think it's important they don't forget this performance. They build upon it. But yeah, if you looked at this game in isolation in in that period where the the Waratahs were scoring, there was nothing better to watch, and it really kind of brought back, I think, memories of 2014 and and the way we were playing at that period in time. You know, we're going with this mobile forward pack at the moment. It, it is kind of working for us. The scrum a little bit was shaky. But, yeah, look, I think we do have the ability to beat teams like the Highlanders, particularly being at home. That does help a lot. But we'll just have to wait and see. It's a little bit to and fro with the Waratahs at the moment. You don't really know what they're going to bring. And what they what they won't be able to rely on is just starving the Highlanders of possession because even off a very small 
possession ratios, the Highlanders seem to rack up points. So they're going to have to be better than just a team that keeps the ball off them. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And we'll go to the other game. Saturday night, the Brumbies took on the Rebels, and this was down in GIO Stadium. Um, Brumbies came out hard and looking to pay back the Rebels after losing to them in Melbourne earlier this year, but it was a bit of a stop-start game, um, but the Rebels taking it late. Off the boot of a Hodge penalty, the Rebels winning this one 27-24. Yeah, it's, it's a game that the Rebels really needed to win, and equally the Brumbies too, but um, yeah, not a great great game to watch. Um, plenty of errors in there, quite sloppy. It was only probably the last, say, 20, 30 minutes of the game where it really upped the intensity and it became more enjoyable to watch. Um, I did end up tipping the the Brumbies in this game. I changed my thoughts um, during the week. (laughs) And I shouldn't have done that because the Rebels did fight back and take this one out. And I think you could see how elated the whole team was when, when they got that win and how much relief kind of came out and the emotion came out. Adam Coleman was just super chuffed. So it has been taking a toll, I think, this string of losses on them. And let's hope that they go back to how they were playing early on in the season with a bit more freedom um, and cutting those errors out of their game because they're an incredibly dangerous team when they're, when they're playing like that. So, you know, let's hope that that can buoy them going forwards. I think the Brumbies are now out of the finals, so it may... Be a, be a chance for them to blood some new players and, and maybe plan towards the future. The, there was, like, generally, early on, the defence was pretty good. So, again, it looks like a Dow game, lots of handling errors, no one getting momentum. But really, that's a testament to fairly good defence and did go back and forth, back and forth for a while. Um, but the Reds seemed to find momentum from their defence. Um, they, they had a period there where the Brumbies were right down on their line. They're doing, uh, setting scrums and taking line outs and the rebels held out. They towed the line. They didn't, uh, get carded. And in the end, the Brumbies actually got backed up about 25 meters and were taking a penalty kick five minutes later after having penalties awarded right in front of the post. They could have quite happily kicked three points much earlier, but you'd call that a success for the rebels. And when Archie and I were watching that game, we thought, you know, that that's a real, victory for the rebels in that in that short phase and they just kept coming back and they they just had more desire to win and aside from the the general sort of team elements like there were some good performances i thought maddox again showed the quality he brings to that back line he he was instrumental as a sort of a mid mid back line player the passing game he brought he was drawing a lot of the rush-up defence, but still getting the quick ball across and, and then allowing his team to outflank the Brumbies, which got a lot of territory gains for them. Uh, and equally, we saw a lot of a lot of uh, big-engine efforts from people like Cusack and Cottrell, who not not big names, not people we're talking a lot about in the back lot in the back rows for either team, um, but they're guys who are doing a good amount of work for their uh, for their team. And, and Cusack's catch of that high ball before he set up. Um, one of the Brummies attacks was was pretty impressive. So these these guys give them give them a little bit longer to develop. Like it's not going to be this season, but they're the kind of tough, gritty guys who you want in three or four years' time with a lot more experience. And they're leaders and 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 sort of mentors to these younger players when we when we're bringing the next generation through. Yeah, Tom Cusack was a standout. I think that's the best game that he's played in a uh, Brummies jersey. Um, I hadn't been too impressed with him really overall this season, but he really stood up in this game and, and sparked a lot of attack for the Brumbies. You said it was a little bit sloppy, and I think 
Wrecked Nick Berry as any good halfback wanted to be very involved and was pretty whistle happy pretty early on. Um, but in terms of positives, looking at the not Brum, much advantage. Yeah, didn't really want to play much advantage. Was pretty happy to stop it and start it. So we got a lot of scrums. We saw the Brumbies put a bit of pressure on the Rebels, um, especially in the front row in the scrums. Um, so I still don't think that's the best Rebels front row. I think you could completely change them out for the reserves. But that said, for the Brumbies, the positives, like you said, Kuzak in the back row. Rob Valentini, welcome back. That kid is going to be big <laughs> in Australian rugby, whether it's at eight, whether it's at six. He knows how to run. He knows how to score tries. And he's always going to make metres. I can see him in a gold jersey sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, look, if, if the Brummies had had Nicerani and Pocock in combination with Rob Valentini, like, they would have won this game. I'd, I'll put that out there. I think that would have been enough. Um, just so happens they've had some few key, a few key injuries, the Brumbies, and, yeah, they just don't have the quality or the depth to, to keep, um, you know, those those strong positional players in the, in the back row there. Um, tight five, still very strong for the Brumbies, but it wasn't enough, obviously. Um Rebels, I think we, we should talk about um, Hodge going into number 10 instead yeah, what, of Maddox. what is he doing? What I don't know. Vessels is pretty apprehensive to throw Maddox into the fray there. And maybe that's because he he's missing guys like DHP and a couple of his wingers are out of form. So he thinks that he needs to keep a guy like Maddox out wide. Um, but I would have liked to see Maddox get a chance at 10 here. Whether now he goes to Hodge at 10 starting next week, I'm not sure. I think actually, sorry, they're on bye, but the, the week after, whether you put Hodge into 10 because they did look a lot better once Debrecini went off. So I don't don't mind that change. If they've got plenty of centres, they could have Billy Meeks at 12 and English at 13 and put Hodge at 10. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them make a change, particularly now they've got two weeks to work on their combinations and... And whether Maddox or Hodge gets the start, I'm not sure. No, I don't really... I mean, I've seen Hodge has now played pretty much every position in that back line. I'm not sure he's really been on the wing for too much, but everywhere else... I, I thought he was best when he was playing outside centre, and uh, you'll probably hear a little bit later, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and target that as a future position for him. But uh, Debrasini seems like he's sort of lacking a little bit, especially in that long passing ability. Me and Leo really noticed some of his cutouts sort of wide to the wingers. He just they're too big, long looping passes and they don't allow someone to Slow. run on them and hit them. Yeah. But um the man catching them, Corabidi, he looks like he's coming back into form and he had some great runs, some great tackle busts and really making meters. He's He's looking like he's just starting to peak, hopefully, for that Wallabies test. Yeah, I'd have him on the wing because I think Seth is completely out of form, um, which which isn't great. I wouldn't have Spade in there. There's a, there's a lot of guys I wouldn't select on the wing. So I think someone like Corabidi is definitely someone that brings that intensity in both attack and defense, which we, we really need. And he's got plenty of pace, which is also important. So Rebels' next game will be Sunwolves in two weeks at home. So that's a good good test bed to try a few things. Brumbies next two weeks on tour, Lions and Bulls. Yeah. yeah they're, what are we? They're in, they're what's in our, big what's trouble. our over under? What's our over under on victories on this tour? No chance. 0.25. You reckon they can get one no, bonus I, point, I, maybe? I won't even think about it. Mm. Unfortunately, I feel a bit the same. Like, But maybe maybe a down and out Brumbies side with nothing to lose. Maybe, maybe they do relax a bit because the pressure's off and. You know the lines haven't been great. They're um 
they're they're a little bit ripe for upsets. I feel like the Bulls mm. will just muscle up and and roll them. But yeah, I'd, I'm not confident for either of these. It'd be nice for them to get a win, but this is really just going to be a probably a pretty depressing tour mm. if they can't find something in that first game that's really going to be out of out of the conference and out of luck. Does Dan McKellar hold on to his job for next year? No, definitely not. He's he hasn't He's done first anything. Year coach, they're not, they're not take... They need to bring in an experienced coach. Um, there's too many of these rookie coaches hanging around in Australian rugby. We need someone, you know, someone like a Stuart Lancaster or a Eddie Jones or someone with a lot of experience to come in and really take control of this team because. You can just see them floundering in so many different areas. And they do have a lot of good players. That's the thing. They they do need to get the best out of these players. I don't think Dan McKellar's doing that. I'd, I'd be making a change. It's one year, though. Do you think it's realistic? Yeah, but they they've taken a, a big step back. I, I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, if they did, because the results have been that poor. The Brumbies, the Brumbies overall are a successful franchise, I think, they might have had the second highest winning percentage overall in the history of Super Rugby, and that's yep. pretty quickly dropping away at the moment. Um, it's a proud rugby you know, franchise, and, and they really need to have some of the high-quality coaches in there that that franchise deserves. And there's nothing against Dan McKellar. I don't necessarily think he's a terrible coach, but he hasn't able been able to inspire this team at all, and I haven't seen any sort of development throughout the season. Um, I think they need to recruit... Some some more playmakers, and they need to make a, a change in the in the coaching ranks. And whether even Laurie Fisher comes back in at head coach, that could be a well, short solution. But I was going to um, say, how many how many iterations of Laurie Fisher at the Brumbies have we had? Is Laurie Fisher not bringing anything new? Like that, if you've got a young head coach, then your assistants are usually your experienced, wise heads. Like that's what Brad Thorne has. He's got a couple of older guys that have done a lot, seen a lot maybe had a head coach stint themselves and are just there as a supporting act. But Laurie Fisher, how, how many versions of Laurie Fisher have we seen come to the Brumbies? And maybe honestly, I don't three. think... Yeah, mm. isn't this his third I, stint back involved with but the group? And, possibly, and what's he but the adding Brum, now? The Brumbies are better when he is at the head, though. They've, they've gone to playoffs, they've gone to finals, they've gone to semifinals with him at the head. I think yeah, but it's a different, he has it's a different era control. of rugby. Yeah, possibly. I I actually I wouldn't go to Laurie Fisher as my first option, but if they couldn't find anyone else, I'd be happy to have him there next year leading from the front. Um, but, yeah, I think they need to invest in their coaching starting next year and, and really bring a, a refreshed kind of outlook to that team because there's going to be guys that will leave the Brumbies because they're not successful. Um, even someone like Pocock, you just don't know what he's going to do. He's obviously still got you know a bit of playing time in him but if the brumbies are doing very poorly i would imagine he won't stick around There'll be certain guys that Captain won't coach. be attracted to that franchise mm. i mean it's different if you're if you've got big markets like melbourne sydney even brisbane they're a lot more attractive destinations to live in than canberra is um and so if the, the franchise is doing poorly um and there isn't kind of as good of prospects there less guys are going to want to go and play there and you're going to see an even more kind of a slide from them if, mm. if that continues so they need to to get on top of this now let's jump around in some of the non-australian games and the first one was the friday night game the blues took on the hurricanes and look they were definitely challenging blues look like they are hitting a patch of form getting a few players back from injury 
Um, unable to hold on in the end, though. The Hurricanes did end up getting some points late and ending up winning this one 36-15. But you see players like Sonny Bill Williams come back in. He's pretty much worth a try on his own most weeks. Yeah, very handy. And and just the fact that you can add someone who draws that much attention in your centres and that puts people like Rico Iwani out on the wing. And they look so much better with Iwani out on the out on the wing and uh, and you know they've got Augustine Pulu back in there. Uh, discipline, I think, is still an issue. So they're still probably pushing the boundary a bit too hard in the mall and in the ruck. Uh, the penalties in this game were really one-sided in the first half, which was an issue. Um, the Hurricanes, I think, are still, you know, they've they've brought Nehemiah and Scudder back in. They're still kind of reshuffling and deciding if uh, if he fits in their best fifteen. They they maybe didn't didn't find that early on in this game, and in the second half they they spent a period there where the structure wasn't that good. They they would seem like they were sort of going nowhere, and then they bring on someone of the class of Geordie Barrett, and he just seemed to spark a whole bunch of attack for them. Again, another dominant figure who drew a lot of attention. Um, yeah, and I mean it was a it was a good attacking game to watch. The Blues the Blues have. Uh, some good players in Perifetta. He, he stood up against a lot of runs from Lamape through his channel. But the Hurricanes are just too strong. They've, they've, even with their sort of stunted attack, they held out for long enough to find their way and finish it off. Yeah, I think this is the best lineup the Blues have put out. They seem to be playing guys in their correct positions and, and they kind of gelled a bit, bit better as a unit. Um, defensively, they were a lot better, and they showed that against the the Waratahs as well. They, they they defended really well without a lot of possession. In this game, they started off like that, but as you said, Leo, they couldn't hold on, um, and I don't think many teams actually can hold on against the Hurricanes. They're just so classy across the whole team, and having Artie Sevilla back in there with Shields and and Evans, like their back row is super strong, um, and their type five seem to be developing as well. So there's not really a weakness. Um, in terms of that Hurricanes team overall. Really good to see Milner Scudder back. I think that he'll continue to get a lot better. He just needs some more game time. The biggest issue with the Hurricanes, um, and they have a lot more, say, high-level players than someone like the Rebels, but it's trying to fit these guys in, in one back line. Like, guys like Vince Asso, um, Geordie coming off the bench, like, they just can't fit all of them there. Um, and that's the biggest challenge. I think at the moment they're coming close to probably their ideal backline. Um, it's good to see TJ Perinara back as well. But again, no matter, it seems they can make a couple of changes to the backline. They don't really miss a beat, um, which is, you know, it's impressive. And I think that's why they're, they're still should be seen as a, probably a slightly a class above the Crusaders in terms of their, their, their talent. I think especially when they have TJ Perinara, you saw it, they just pick up the pace and they're just a little bit more fluid and his connection with Bowden is just so good. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And the, the Hurricanes are very lucky in the fact that they've had a couple of injuries, but everyone is pretty much back to full fitness now. They're not really missing anyone. And that's just going to... It's going to make yeah, them... Yeah, Dan Coles is the only one. Yeah. Dan Coles it. is the only guy probably and. Like I said, I think Ricky Riccatelli is holding up the ship pretty well. I mean, yeah, he can be a little bit inconsistent at line-out time, but his general play around the, the field is outstanding. His scrummaging seems pretty good. Um, so, yeah, I don't think... I'm not even sure when Dagan Coles is coming back. He's struggled a lot with injuries and stuff. So they haven't actually chatted about that much because I think they've been pretty happy with Ricky, Ricky, Ricky Riccatelli. 
Um, but yeah, look, Kane's just a joy to watch. Um, we need more teams like them, and the Blues improving, but yeah, just just not quite there this year. And hopefully, they can kind of pick up a couple more wins to to rebuild for next year. I, I got to say, I don't hope that the Blues pick up too many more wins because. Then the next four games, they're playing the Crusaders twice, I think, but then also the Rebels and the Reds um, at home. So I hope that maybe one of us can, one of our um, teams can get in there and maybe take advantage a little bit. Uh, sorry, they're playing the Hurricanes again. Their next five games are the Crusaders, then they get to host the Rebels and the Reds, then they play the Hurricanes and the Crusaders again. Mm. I, th- I could see them beating both Australian teams, to be honest. Um, but I don't see them picking up a win against their Kiwi opposition. The second game um, outside of Australia, we had the Highlanders coming home off that uh, South African tour to face the Lions, and we kept alluding to it. The Lions just don't look themselves. And the Highlanders made pretty light work of them, 39-27, to 27, taking out the Lions. They, um, it was interesting, Arch, and I dug through the stats a little bit after the game, and looking at the number of passes per player... And the number of uh, Highlanders forwards involved with significant numbers of passes, these guys have really good distributors, 1 to 15. Like, they're all involved. That You know, all those passes are, are opportunities to draw a player in and draw a defensive player or group in and then throw it around them and outflank them. And if, if they can do that all, all the way across the park, it's no wonder they're so dangerous. And then you've got awesome players like uh, Thompson and Ben Smith and the Holo, like, you, you unleash those guys and then in the under under pressure when, when they've drawn all the players they can, they can still thread the needle and throw those passes to put the other guys away. Uh, and all that without Aaron Smith. Like, yeah. I, I don't think the Highlanders are easy beats. I worry for the Waratahs this week. Uh, I'll be trying to get to that game. But, the you know, the, the Lions, yeah, they don't look themselves. So I think we identified this a little bit earlier, and it was when Warren Whiteley first went down. Um, they just don't have that link between their forwards and their backs. Quagga Smith, while he's like he's crazy, he's running around, sprinting around the whole time, he doesn't really distribute the ball. He runs himself. Um, and when you don't have people like Malcolm Marks playing, we, as I said, don't have Whiteley, don't have people like Yako Krill, they just don't seem to have that connection um, to allow a bit more explosiveness um, for some of their outside backs. And Yangtze's yeah. hasn't been himself, and their, their back line's just not been stable. And people like Kutsi's, who's probably been their most uh, stable and sensible player, he's not, he's not the player that's going to spark something for them. He's much more of a steady-as-you-go, he will make the tackles, he will play possession, he will play territory. Um, but they're just not able to going to line rage as they used to a year and two years ago yeah i think the run right, out of line rage product the the forwards is where the issue is they're not setting the, the strong platform and being dominant up front and therefore that back line's not getting front football um i think their backs like they've got plenty of options there and they've they've stayed pretty consistent throughout i mean they do kind of bring in Vorster and jans van rensberg move those guys around um their wingers kind of slide in and out but they do have some quality options there Kutsi's out of form at 15. Yankees kind of fluctuates a bit with his form as well. Um, and also missing Ross Cronier, I think, plays a part in, in their lack of direction. Um, they, they really look, you know, two steps back from where they were last year. Um, it's, it's, it's so noticeable. They would have probably won games like this last year, um, although the Highlanders were 
um, impressive. You know, there, there's gonna there's gonna be probably some guys coming back once they get back to Joburg. I think um, they'll get some of their guys back. I think Malcolm Marks um, is out for maybe four weeks. But when's Whiteley due back? Do we know that? Or not too he sure. He was supposed to be back a couple of weeks ago, but I haven't heard anything more yeah. about what's going on. Whether he just like... didn't come on the tour to have rested a couple more. Yeah. Weeks. I think that might be right, and I think you might see him back, and that probably will change their structure a little bit. Because Quagga Smith, like you said, he he's not a big body, and he he's not a, a number eight by any means. So they're kind of they're throwing guys in that aren't playing in their usual positions, and that's noticeable. But yeah, look, Lions still racked up twenty seven points. I think the Highlanders can even take it to another level here. Ben Smith is just in great form. He's come back pretty quickly into form. I think Naholo's picking up a little bit as well. Um, their centre pairing of Teorangi Walden and Rob Thompson, we can't say enough good things about. Um, and yeah, as always, their, their forwards are just dominant and, and quite physical. So Highlander is a good team and a big test for the Waratahs coming up this week. Yeah, and Lions obviously taking on the Brumbies next week. We've already spoken a bit about that. Um, we'll be interested to see whether the Brumbies can give them a bit more of a challenge back in Joburg. Just quickly, though, um, did you guys pick up that had a bit of a kerfuffle with the TMO? I don't think really knew what he was ruling on after um, an early Highlanders try was sort of questioned after the ball falconed off a um, receding sort of Lions player. And um, the TMO's gone through it and sort of got to the end of what he's seen happened and then sort of looked at Angus Gardner and goes and just waited for Gardner to make a decision because he didn't know whether the player was offside or not. Oh, he was yeah, saying he like no idea. Yeah, he was saying like oh, he hadn't played at it, but he didn't he wasn't prepared to make a ruling on whether that mean, meant that um the next player was on was... offside or not. He just kind of left it out there and was waiting for Gardner to kind of make a call. Yeah. Um which is tough, pretty tough poor. decision. Pretty poor. Sorry, it is tough. tough I mean, it, they in. should know that though. And he, oh, no, he so I mean, if you put Gardner in a tough position like if Gardner yeah. What if he sure, didn't like he was in big trouble. He really, it was all on him. The the guy sitting upstairs, not on camera, probably mm-hmm. with a set of rules near him, was yeah. not willing to rule on that, and he just he just stuck it out there. I think I think Angus Gardner is probably the best ref we've got getting round, and he obviously knows his rules. So lucky it was him. Oh, Jack, a, Jacko Piper may not have been so strong on that one. And one of the greatest things about Angus Gardner is his communication. Like he's very clear in mm. in you know what he's saying to the players. And he doesn't talk down to them, but he's just very direct um, and he doesn't put up with any sort of crap that they're giving um, him. So really good to see an Australian referee dominating and he's getting some of the bigger games internationally as well. So it's great to see. That's right. I'm pretty sure he was refing the um, England Islands and Paddy's game in the Six Nations, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. And um, going forward, uh, the Stormers took on the Chiefs uh, beginning their South African tour. Um, and in a bit of a low-scoring affair, I think the score was only 3-5 to five at half-time here. Um, and look, they didn't put many points more, but the Chiefs have broken the Stormers' um, at-home undefeated streak, taking this one 15-9. And look, it took a while to get going, but Chiefs still managed to pull it out. Chiefs just have so many quality players in the backs. Um, they they just got, got around the flanks of the Stormers and opened them up and... And it was interesting they had Tyler Dron playing at number eight, so they actually managed to get that extra sort of tall timber second rower in. They were really strong in the lineouts. Um, 
they're starting to gel a bit more. I, I still think McKenzie's not the most uh, pinpoint distributor, but maybe they've shortened it up a bit. It's felt like it went through the hands a bit more this week and, and he, they weren't so reliant on him throwing quite long cutout passes flat um, in, in attacking the line. So, uh, yeah, Ch- Chiefs coming through strong. They've got a pretty uh, tough run to finish the regular season as well, but um, showing showing the class of the South, uh, sorry, the New Zealand sides. Storm is just unable to build anything in attack, really, and and the Chiefs aren't really that, you know, aren't exactly the top of the defensive stacks at all. So you'd really expect them to come up with a bit more than nine points. Yeah, I thought both teams were very poor in this game, and particularly like just bad handling errors, um, uncharacteristics of the of the Chiefs as well, and the Stormers don't generally make that many mistakes, so. Not a great game to watch. I agree, Lee. I think McKenzie, I'd go even further. I'd say he's really struggling at 10. I, I don't see him directing the team around as he should be. Um, perhaps it is better to have Marty McKenzie in there at 10 and, and drop him back to 15. Um, that'll bring Charlie Naitai in a bit closer to the action. Um, but, yeah, they do have... They're probably saved by some of their loose forwards and, and also their dynamic backs, the Chiefs. They, they're able to pull out points when they need to. Um, but, yeah, I don't think they'll be that, you know, they won't be that impressed with their performance. Um, but, yeah, they did what they needed to do and they, they got the win over in Cape Town. So that's you can't really complain too much. Uh, but, yeah, not a great performance either way for either of these teams. Yeah. They're looking like having a wild card spot as well. So they're, they're upset ready, keeping a close eye on them. Yeah, yeah, they've got a lot of injuries, and that plays into it as well. Missing Sam Kane in this game is is a big one for them. But yeah, I just think the Chiefs probably one of their worst games of the season, but they still got the win, and that's that's like I said, that's important. Yeah, and that loss puts the Stormers at the bottom of the South African Conference. Uh, they both them and the Lions are one game ahead of the rest, but uh, from second to Fifth, um, it ranges from 24 points to 23 points, um, with three teams tied there on 24, the Hagiwaris, Bulls, and Sharks, all trailing the Lions on 31. Um, but speaking of those other two teams, the Bulls versus the Sharks, uh, this is another game that we were pretty split down the middle on who we were going to tip. We have the Bulls have, having suffered a couple of losses through the Stormers and the um, Highlanders, as well as the Sharks managed to put one over the Highlanders, but... In a close-fought game, the Bulls sort of got off early and they just sort of hung around and frustrated the Sharks enough, I think, um, to stay in this game and through some handy kicking and some opportunistic sort of probably tries, uh, the Bulls got, got this one and took it out in the end in a relatively high-scoring match, 39-33. to Yeah, and the Bulls play with good energy again. Um, guys like Jesse Creel... Um, really impressive. Mm. Andre Pollard's controlling the game well and his kicking's been excellent. So you wouldn't be surprised to see him in Springbok contention um, come June. But yeah, they the Bulls, again, performing probably above where they should be. Um, I picked the Sharks in this game. I thought that the Sharks would have too much um, too much kind of talent and, and, I don't know, just too much strength across the park with some of their big back rowers and their dynamic backs. But... They just really lacked discipline in this game and gave away some silly penalties. You saw Kerwin Bosch put out his leg to yeah, try and trip one of the players or tripped one of the players. Explosion. Yeah, and I mean, he went off for 10 minutes and then scored straight after he came back on. But he needs to cut that kind of stuff out of his game. And there, there was a few times where the Sharks guys, even 
um, arm in uh, the 13 jersey when he made that tackle um, mm. with a guy in the air. Really hit him hard. Could have easily been a red card, I think. I think he was lucky to get a yellow. So the Sharks were probably their worst enemy, own worst enemy in this game. I think if they'd probably cut that lack of discipline out of the game, they would have won this one. But Bulls, look, they take away another win and they're staying in contention for a wildcard spot or even the top of the, the sack. So, you know, the Bulls are really coming on strong and it's, it's good to see bit of parity in that conference. So, look, I think the way it's panned out and the way performances have panned out, this is the right type of selection for this game. All right, let's jump forward. And this week we are looking at the centres for the Wallabies team and inside and outside or second 5 eighth and yeah, outside half, whatever you want to call them. Um, I'm going to throw to Leo. Take us through. Who do you think is going to fill the 12 spot um, to start within the Wallabies team? 12 spot, I think it's still Beal. I don't think anyone else has stepped up and dominated that position. Uh, not that Beal has sparkled in t- the entire season so far, but I think he still definitely gives you the most variety in attack. Uh, defense has picked up from seasons past where he was a bit of a liability. I don't think there's any need for change. I think you stick him there. We're expecting to see Foley. They've got a good combination, a good understanding, and I'm sure Folau will be in there somewhere else. And you want you want that the combination 10 12 15 if that can be strong that's that's a good start yeah i mean absolutely agrees with curtly bill I, I don't think you can go to anyone else he is able to you know run the ball he can be a playmaker and he's actually improved his defense a lot as well i think he's not afraid to kind of really throw himself into tackles mm, since he's gone to the um, london wasps pretty much hey yeah, I think he actually has the last year or two. Noticeably, you don't see him falling off tackles like he used to um, or just throwing arms at people. He's, he's really putting his full body into it and he's not missing mi- missing many at all. So, Curly there at 12. What about for 13? Oh, no, sorry. I well, just need... before sorry. just before you leave, Curly, he, he did do something on the weekend. He was jumping at guys carrying the ball and trying to rip the ball out rather than he, trying to wrap the guy up. I think that, he actually that, he did, did do that a couple of times. Six. He, he succeeded doing that as well, I think. That's kind of... I know that what you're talking about with that and Quade Cooper used to do it mm. as well. Um, I don't think it currently... can be a number one no, decision no. to do that. I think if you can, if you want to jump on, up on a guy and wrap up the ball and you find yourself in that position, that's one thing. But if you think... I think if you go in there looking for that, I think you're at risk of just getting bumped off. Like, you think you're running about the Springboks guys. Like, those big centers aren't going to just spill the ball they're just going to run over the top of him you see so that's him, one thing I you don't see, see him do it as a sort of last ditch when he feels like he, they've got numbers outside because he is trying to limit that offload and things i think it's it often also may not work see your guy Iris. yeah it often may not work but also if he goes around legs and they pop up outside a lot of the time it's going to have the same result so i i pretty much don't think anyone could argue with putting curtly beal at 12 um, Toby, who would you put at 13? Yeah, mate, for me, it's it's still Tavita, and I know that he's been out of form for the Brumbies. That's that's clear to see, um, but he does always take it to a new level with the Wallabies. I'm confident he can get back into form in time for that June series. Um, I don't see anyone else that is going to take that spot at the moment. No one's really stood up um, and really put their stamp on that 13 jersey. Karevi, I prefer at 12. Um, I think he's a defensive liability at 13. He's still got a lot to learn there, and I'm not willing to put him in there against Ireland. Um, but you guys might have a different opinion of that. I do. I reckon he's up to it. I I, I don't think 
Tavita brings enough in attack. The defense is important, definitely. I completely understand that. But I I think I think Karevi's progressed far enough that you, you get him in there and you want to develop him probably more as an outside center now, outside someone like uh, Beal, because he's just such a strong ball runner. And and when you think about the types of plays you're running, you're, you're looking for a 12 to 13 or even a 12, or a 12 behind the 13 to 15. Think of the kind of the defense you can draw on Karevi, whether you use him or not, to expand to open the, the flanks for people like Falau and, and Korobiti. And I think Karevi brings a lot more to that. Uh, and, and really, if, if we just need to work on his defense, you can support that. Um, I think he's a good, perfectly good defender. The decision-making at 13 is critical. I think you can support that with the guys around him, depending on who's inside and outside him. Um, I, I reckon we give him a go because I kind of feel like TK's topped out and, yeah, he might pick up again for the Wallabies, but I, I just don't think he's got that much more than what we've seen already, and I, I'd, I'd rather invest in someone new. I think, look, I, I acknowledge that Karevi has been in better form and attacking-wise he probably does bring a little bit more to the table in terms of his ball carries. I would like to use him more like, say, Laomapi is used for the Hurricanes in that 12 spot, but I don't, I'm not willing to give up Curly Bill for that. However, if you were going to play Karevi at 13, I think it's very important that you don't pick guys like Henry Spade on the wing. You need to have oh, guys yeah. that are, you know, guys solid yeah, in defense definitely. on the wing. Maybe someone like Korobiti is who always no, seems to make his tackles. Fine. Yeah, we'll but do, you need to have that we'll supportive mechanism week. around yeah. Karevi. Um, I'll, I'll elaborate more next week trouble. with that in mind. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. See, I'm going to go against both of you. I think, for one, Kurundrani, even if he picks it up again this year, is he going to be someone you're going to take into the World Cup next year? I think that's uh, a big if. Um, Karevi, I just haven't seen it from him in that 13, and I have the same concerns as you, Toby, in terms of his decision-making defense. I think we should put in Reese Hodge and... I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why. One is he is still a big body. Two, if you've read some of the articles we've been posting up, especially um, ones talking about the structure like the Crusaders run, they work quite well on a three-person, your 10, 12, 13, all being able to sort of play the ball and distribute. And he also brings that good exit option for a Wallabies team doing sort of the in your 22... 10, cut out to 13, and a big boot. And he's he's shown he's smart enough. He's defended there for the Rebels. I think he's played the best for the Rebels when he's been at 13. Um, I reckon he could develop him into a really good combination with Kurtley Beal that's going to be dangerous for people. I can't say I agree with Hodge, you know, having his best position at 13. I think he's actually played better at 12 for the Rebels, but... I know there's been chat in the past about the Wallabies wanting him to kind of develop as a 13. This is the problem, though, when the Rebels can't even seem to decide who should be the number 10, and then they're putting him into 10 late in games. He's not getting that time at 13. Neither is um, Karevi. Bessel, well, Karevi's more been at 12 for, for quite a lot of games this season, and that's probably why I wouldn't pick him at 13. That's why I would still stay with Tavita, because he plays there every week. Um and he, he doesn't let you down very often when he plays for the Wallabies. Like, I know that in Super Rugby you can go missing at times, but he just seems to go to another level when he plays for the Wallabies. And he's only just turned 27. Like, this is a guy that's probably going to be in the mix for the next three to four years. 
So I know we feel like, right, sometimes we doubt his ability um, and and maybe he does go missing, like I acknowledge that, but I th- think overall he's still the best option we have at 13 and it pro- might change in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but before the World Cup, whether you just really need to have Hodge playing at 13 consistently for him to, to front up there for the Wallabies. I guess you can make that argument. And I guess if you look at the people that Kurundrani will have around him, um, if the wall in a Wallabies team compared to what he's had around him in a Brumbies team, um, playing again inside uh, outside numerous sort of twelves and inside people like Spate, I guess I can see that he probably would take a step up then. Um, I yeah, like I think going back to Hodge, and we'll talk about this next week because we're going to talk about wingers then. But Reese Hodge has been playing a lot on the wing for the Wallabies, and with some of the injuries and. Also, the fact that you know there are there, there have been a lot of guys in and out of form. You could easily see Hodge be stuck on one of those wings as well. So I think that's going to factor in. Who are the other guys that are going to be? I feel like Hodge might be more a bench utility. I was just saying, I, I I see Hodge as maybe more of a bench utility. But I actually agree with what Archie's saying. If they developed him, if he was actually playing there week to week, he'd be like a Sterling Mortlock, um, yeah, maybe even Daniel Herbert style um, outside center, but. But you you would have to do more time in thirteen at a yeah. club and and super level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who else are we thinking was going to make this squad? Who's going to be playing off the bench? I mean, you've got three there. I think it's unlikely you're going to have um, all three of those on the bench. But there's a few other guys that would be pushing to try and get into the squad from in these positions. There's yeah four guys that I've kind of have outside KB and TK, um, obviously Samu Karevi, Reese Hodge, and then probably Curtis Rona still covering 13 and on the wing. Um, and Tom English is someone that I think deserves his chance at Wallabies level because he has been pretty consistent for the Rebels when he's got the start. Yeah, I, I think Hodge is there. I've got TK as a, as a bench squad player. Uh, Tom, English, uh, Tom English has some flexibility and, and he has played reasonably well. Um, I still and he's I a feel big kind guy. of like a lot of these. Yeah, he has a big guy. I feel like they're all a bit the same. I don't know what they bring as a point of difference. Um, a guy who, uh, again, he's pretty raw and he's probably more of a bolter than than like an established centre. Uh, but I think he has a lot of potential. Is Fawai Sortia for the Reds? So he's their current thirteen, and and he's another guy who's not that far off in size from the the guys we've already mentioned, and he's still very young. Uh, when he plays well for the Reds. I think he's. I think he's showing that he's got a lot of potential, but he still has those. Uh, he's kind of up and down some weeks to week to week. So uh, needs to find some consistency. But if we can bring him into the fold earlier, I'd like to see him in the mix, um, getting developed amongst these more senior guys. Albeit they're all pretty young. One guy we haven't really mentioned is someone I want to probably see still named in that squad. Billy Meeks. I mean, he's. I don't know if Wessel's making the right decision completely leaving him out of his starting lineup. I think he does offer a lot of 12. He's a different type of 12 to um, what Kurtley Beale and even what Karevi does. He does have elements of playmaking, but he is more of a straight ball runner. And he has, at times, had really good sort of showings for the Rebels. Yeah, I and agree. he's got some yeah, odd, like, different skill set. He pilfers. You see how many times he pilfers the ball? Yeah, he's actually a threat at the ruck. Yeah, I... I think that he has he, he has really, really good games and then in some games he's just terrible, like it seems to go either way. Um, but you're right, he has probably played 
his best football for the Rebels this year. He was okay at the force um, and had a few opportunities with the Wallabies last year. But you could easily see Checker again going back to a guy like that that's becoming more established in the Wallabies setup. And they obviously think that he does have potential. So probably just more of a 12, though. So he's kind of locked in at that position. Round 14. Round 14 and starting um, in Wellington, the Hurricanes taking on the Reds. And the Reds, oh, this is going to be a tough one coming off that big loss to the Sunwolves. Um, I think we're all probably going to be tipping the Canes here. Do you think the Reds are going to be able to keep this close at all? Um, I think they'll bash the Canes, but I don't think it'll be particularly close. I think maybe early it could be close. Maybe similar to the Blues game on Friday night, the, they were able to defend pretty well. But I think over time, the, the Hurricanes just break you down and they've got too much talent there. So I don't think it's going to be necessarily close in the end. Yeah, the Reds' defence can can hold them out for a bit, even if they're really on. But the Reds' defence will need to be uh, not not what it was last week. The the Canes should be able to do this. or it, I don't think they'll treat it like a trap game. Like they're, they're not going to be overconfident. They're going to appreciate the Reds' abilities, but they, they should still be able to overcome them at home. Mm. We'll have to see whether the Brad Thorne takes our advice and switches up um, Lance and Stewart and gives him a bit more time at that first playmaker. Um, and the Reds will also welcome back um, J.P. Smith after he was uh, left out of the touring squad for Japan um, after missing a compulsory team training early last week. Um, next game, and this is a, the next Saturday afternoon, um, the Sunwolves um, taking on the Stormers. And for once not at Chichibu Stadium, they're coming out of Hong Kong, Mong Kok Stadium. And can the Southern Wolves put two ahead in a row? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I think the Stormers, again, their defence is what they pride themselves on. I think they'll be be pushing that first and then wearing down the Sun Wolves. Uh, there's always a chance. I think the Sun. I think the Sun Wolves have had a, a a good a good period of stability and fewer injuries. But I think the Stormers are just that little bit bigger and stronger. I think they'll get the win. Nah, mate. Sunwolves. I'm gonna. I think we've all had a choice, a chance to pick the Sunwolves so far this season. I'm gonna take mine. The Stormers have not been able to win away from home, um, so I don't think this is any different. If the Sunwolves face up to them, they got smashed and got knocked off their game. Just double checked. They will actually be losing Willem for this game. It was a last ditch plea apparently um, to keep him for that Chiefs game. They made a um, plea to the head of the junior. Um, Springboks coach as well as the head of the SARU to keep him um, just for one more. Not that it helped, but they'll be without him here and I think the Sunwolves can get another one on the trot. Oh, oh! Um, I'm never going to pick the Sunwolves this year. Let's just make that clear. I haven't picked them before and I'm not going to pick them now. Um, The Stormers will be fired up for this one. You know, dropping a game that they could have won against the Chiefs the Sunwolves will be riding high, but I think being away from home, being away from Tokyo won't help them. They won't have as many fans there. The atmosphere won't be as intense. Um, I think they played their best game so far this season. That's That'll come and go, and I think they'll probably fall into some of their their bad habits that they, they have um, kind of gone through this season. So Stormers got enough to get through. I'm sorry, Arch. I think it's going to be perhaps even a 10 to 20 point victory by the Stormers in this one. Oh, right. All right. You need to make these sort of picks. You need to make these picks to actually try and catch up to us in tipping. So 
you know what? You believe in your pick, you're confident, you're passionate. That's all you can do, mate. Persevere. I feel like you're, you're talking to me like I'm a child. Like, oh, we let you into this competition. Like, okay, all right. Well, mate, you Maybe are the youngest. You are, you are our kid brother. So that's how you should be treated. Hey, Talk to kid brother. Exactly. I'm <laughs> going to give you guys free medical attention for the rest of your life. So come on, give me some respect. Fair enough. I'll take that. I'll give you a little bit. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. All right. Um, and the next game, we talked about a bit earlier. The Blues, um, tough one for them facing the Hurricanes and then the Crusaders. And this is coming out of Auckland. So they are at home again. Uh, hopefully, they'll still have a bit more support uh, after a good showing against the um, Hurricanes um, and putting out another strong team. But I'm going to be taking the Saders. I think they'll be... Definitely coming out hot and coming out firing. They won't want to start how they did versus the Tars. They won't want to get down early. And I think they're going to show um, the Blues uh, who the most dominant um, team in New Zealand is. Well, I think it'll be a closer game than perhaps the Canes and Blues were um, on Friday, last Friday. I think that the, the Crusaders will win this game, but it maybe be a 10-point margin. Um, I think the Blues are going to continue to, to bring a bit of Intense and, and physicality. They've got some big boys running around. So I think there could be it could be close early again, but then the Crusaders will just get over the top of them, but it won't be by a huge amount. Yeah, Crusaders are full strength, minus Kieran Reed, I think, and Israel Dag, but there's still plenty of um there's still plenty of talent in that team, so they they'll definitely have the the favoritism and rightfully so. And Saturday night, heading back to Allianz Stadium, the Waratahs and first the Highlanders. Can this be... Uh, actually, I don't even want to mention the streak. I just want you to tell me, Toby, who's going to win this game? Um, the Highlanders are going to win this game. and it, it, oh, mate. It, I don't like to say that, but the Highlanders are a better team than the Waratahs. And I think the fact that the Waratahs got so close against the Satyrs um, I think it's actually going to hurt them that they didn't get that win. I think that doesn't necessarily motivate them anymore. I think they knew they were so close, they didn't take their opportunities um, and couldn't close it out. So I think the Highlanders will come in and with with some of their dynamic players will will upset um, the Waratahs out wide and also I think the, the Highlanders pack is going to be a lot more dominant than the, the Waratahs pack. Waratahs pack definitely... Uh, need to uh, show up on this on this game, and I think if they do the same thing they did against the Crusaders, they'll they'll know what it feels like, and then they just need to front up into defense, and that's probably more the forwards than the backs. Um, I, I, I give the Waratahs a chance in this. I'm going to tip the Waratahs. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, Leo. I'm taking the Tars as well. I just hope that Daryl Gibson gets his head screwed on a little bit straight and doesn't pick Phipps to start at nine. Let's get Jake Gordon back in there. I don't want a halfback that's going to get charged down every time he box kicks and knocking it on in the ruck. just doesn't help my team. So Jake Gordon to start and Waratahs to win, please. Woo! <laughs> and late that evening on Saturday, we have the Sharks um, taking on the Chiefs. And looks like we're actually doing a bit of a sweep here. No one's back in the Chiefs, I don't think. No. Sharks yeah, they weren't that convincing... They weren't that convincing uh, against the Stormers. They got it done, but the Sharks are definitely a better team. And I just think the the size of the Sharks, like they're big guys. They 
they and they hold a good defensive line. Uh, I don't think the Chiefs will have quite as much success penetrating uh, the Sharks' defense. And and the Sharks, given time, if they can keep the Chiefs in a box, they'll um they will motor over the top of them eventually. Like Mackenzie's going to have to do a bit of defending, and those boys are big. So I think the Sharks have have got the opportunity here at home. And you know it's another one. It's a tour game. Chiefs have you know been away from home a little bit longer. They may have adjusted, but then uh, Durban, Durban, not at height, is it? Not at altitude, no, Durban. Sea level. So, same as Cape Town. So they got a chance to to play well and not be run down by the altitude. But no, I think the Sharks will get this one at home. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you there. I think um, three Duprees beats two Mackenzies. So I'm going with the numbers game. The full house. I think the Chiefs are a better team than the Sharks, but I think in this environment in, in Durban, um, with the Sharks coming off a disappointing loss to the Bulls, I think they'll be really determined. Chiefs didn't look particularly good against the, the Stormers, and I think just the injuries are going to start to take their their toll, I think, a bit on this team. Um, and I think the Sharks will put some points on here. It should be a quite an exciting game, I think, with hopefully some good ball movement and some dynamic plays. Yeah, definitely, hopefully, um, a good sort of game to watch there. Um, That may signal the end if the Chiefs Chiefs drop that one. It may signal the end to their playoff hopes. Um, But we shall see, and we'll have to crunch the numbers on that after this weekend. Um, The Brumbies start off their South African tour and head over to Joburg to probably a pretty hostile environment, this one at altitude, um, to take on the Lions. I definitely can't tip the Brumbies after what I've been seeing the last couple of weeks. I think the Lions will probably come home. They'll need to bounce back. Hopefully they'll have um, some of their players back, but I think they'll take this one reasonably easily against a Brumbies team that's just been off form. Yeah, the Brumbies, again, will be disappointed not to have got that win against the Rebels. Um, The Lions as well will be travelling home. So both teams travelling, but I think the Lions will feel pretty happy to be back playing at home because it was a tough tour for them um, and it probably did take a lot out of them so I, I don't think necessarily this game will be a blowout I think it'd be quite close um, but I, I see the Lions bouncing back after a disappointing tour and and keeping the Brumbies at bay I think I'll be happy if I get this tip wrong because I'm all for Australian teams being successful and, and maybe the the situation will be that the Brumbies will feel like such rank outsiders and and so far out of the off the pace in the in the competition or even in the conference, they might actually relax and just and just you know play with a bit of play for enjoyment uh, and with a little bit less uh, stress on their plates. But um, yeah, look, the Lions will be back on the Lion Rage at home, and and I and I I will I will tip the Lions, but I'll be quite happy if I'm wrong. Lion Rage and the final game of the round. Um, the Haguaras have returned home. They've had a week off and they're taking on the Bulls who are travelling over. This is the first game in a run of three for the South American Sex Panthers. You love that, don't you, Arch? I'll, I'll be on board with it for you. Um, but yeah, I think that the Jags had a had a good week off, um, refreshed. Um, hopefully they're not too rusty after after that break, but they were playing so well before that. You'd like to think they, they're going to keep the momentum up. Um, Bulls going to be a big challenge for them. Um, I think this will be a pretty close game. The way the Bulls have been playing, they, they're a bit unpredictable. Um, and But when they're on, they can score 30, 40 points pretty easily. Um, so I think high-scoring game, I think the Jags still get there. 
playing at home. If this is in South Africa, I think I'd go for the Bulls. But Jags, um, I think they'll get a big crowd in there and, and hopefully get the win. And I'll take the home team as well. Uh, this I think I think this has the the elements to be quite a good entertaining game, as you said, probably probably higher scoring. Uh, Sex Panthers should be feeling pretty good after four wins on a tour. Yes. So let's uh, let's let's see how how much they can roll at home. Three games in a row, be very very uh, happy with themselves if they can take at least a couple of wins out of that too, and and definitely challenging for the top of the South African Conference, which they've been adopted into. So. Keep an, eye, keep an eye for this one. It might be hard to watch early Sunday morning. Catch it on replay first up. What is their name, Toby? The Sex Panthers. <laughs> That's is right. That right. That's right. We're sweeping it. Yep, the Sex Panthers. It's called Sex Panther by Odeon. Um, that's all from us, guys. Um, sorry, a bit of a long one, but we had a lot of stuff to get through this week. I think we covered it all pretty thoroughly. But before we sign off, I uh, just wanted to update you. The Force-Tonga game has finished and the Force have made it two in a row, um, beating Tongan outfit quite convincingly in the end. It was close to begin with, but running away in the second half and winning 47-17. to 17. But in any case, guys, um, keep tuned in to us on social media, Instagram and Facebook. We're at Running Rugby Podcast. Send us an email or any questions at runningrugbypodcast at gmail. We will eventually answer them or potentially get some stuff up on the show. Uh, but otherwise, you'll see all the updates, news and lineups coming from there. Um, again, guys, tell your friends. Um, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, thanks again all for tuning in um, from the UK to Australia. Keep on running. Run. Don't like that. Why do you laugh? Well, that's fine. Because he was—he didn't really know what he was going to say, but then he just—he tried to say it, but it, and it kind of worked. And I've made it awkward so many times that now that is the style, and I have to keep it up. <laughs>